Welcome back, Gavin Riley, with you on the record until one o'clock. Donald Fallon has dropped by for Hidden Histories afternoon. Donald, how are you? Good to be here. Uh, Good you to be here. ordinarily are wearing something more akin to your your standard history professor. Today you've come in with your your O'Neill's pullover and your AIG uh, logo we, 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 and your burning to, castles. We, it had to be done, didn't it? The tree burning castles. It had to be done. Uh, it was you an were, incredible. You were on Hill sixteen last and night, and we we hope that I mean today we hope today the women will do it as well. And apparently, more than fifty thousand tickets have been sold for the women's final today. So yeah, we may have a great weekend. Fing- in Dublin. Fingers crossed, as we were saying off air, there's always the prospect that the the men's footballers have created this feel good factor that the, the the capital crowds might be more inclined to just go along on the day and, and to see uh, their own uh, women's team make history of making three in a row as well, albeit. Slightly less unprecedented in the women's code, but nonetheless, three in a row of Annie O'Lara is, is absolutely worth celebrating. So, l- listeners beyond the pale will be glad to know I'm here this week to talk about a sport Dubliner are not particularly yeah, good yeah, at. Yeah, because although Dubliners are celebrating today, uh, some will obviously probably feel that the bitter taste and they'll point towards all the things we've already been talking about today, funding and population and, and many more besides as, as key factors that influence how dominant uh, D- Dublin have become in football. But it is worth remembering that it's now more than 80 years since Dublin have lifted an All-Ireland in hurling. And, amazingly enough, there was only one native-born Dubliner who's actually ever won Which an is incredible. That's a, that's a great pub quiz question, yeah. isn't it? And we love anniversaries in this city. But one that we let pass was last year, the 80th anniversary uh, of Dublin bringing the Liam McCarthy Cup. Yeah. Uh, now, the 1938 final, which was this, this particular final that Dublin won in all this, but by all accounts... It was a dreadful. It game. was truly miserable. You know, it's not the stuff of legend at all. And and the match reports suggest that you know you know you know a match was bad when the match report is more about the crowd than what was happening on the pitch. <laughs> and the Irish press writing about the 1938 uh, All Ireland hurling final say Liffey men, Lagan men, Shirsiders, Lee siders, country folk, and city dwellers, some from every one of the counties, encircled Croke Park's playing pitch yesterday and saw Dublin win the nation's premier athletic trophy. The actual match was not outstanding. Spectators found it a ding dong terrible like game but the unique atmosphere of an All-Ireland hurling final was present it was more than a game it was a national occasion the crowd were singing Faith of Our Fathers when the President of the GAA escorts the Bishop of Waterford on the field to throw the ball in I'd like it to be noted that it refers to uh, the Lee McCarthy as uh, Ireland's premier yes. trophy to put, put Sam McGuire yes, in your absolutely. pipe and, and, and Dublin won they defeated Waterford at two goals and five to one goal and six 37,129 people at it but I think looking at the archive footage of that day on British Pate, the newsreel, there were a lot more people there than 37,129. I think the old Irish tradition of carrying someone through to turn styles on your shoulders uh, may have been in effect, and the place looked packed to the rafters. Absolutely, as it always was. And actually, 2-5 to 1-6 might sound like a low-scoring game in in present parlance, but back in the day, that was Mm. was about the height of what you'd expect for for a full hurling match. Now, the name that should be immortal from that team is a man called Jim Byrne. I find this astonishing. Jim Byrne of the 1938 Dublin Hurlers is the only native Dubliner to have ever won an All-Ireland Hurling medal. Ever. And there's a brilliant Even though book, they've won six All-Ireland Hurling Absolutely. Titles. Six All-Ireland Hurling uh, finals and only one medal. Hell for Letter, A Journey Through Hurling in 100 Games. A great little book. Mm. It talks about how the Dublin teams of the 20s and the 30s, though they were Dublin on paper they were drawn from right across the island of Ireland and they put it very beautifully they say the exclusion of native dubs from their own county team peaked in the 20s and 30s when legions of countrymen migrated Liffey side to join the guards the army or the civil service so Dublin put out a team in the 1927 All-Ireland Hurling Final that doesn't have a single native Dubliner on the side which is extraordinary that's that's even more impressive actually because when you think back to the the earlier days when the first 
couple of hurling All-Irelands that Dublin would have won that was when it was still just the county champions who went forward yeah, so they would have been entire clubs indeed. populated from from, uh, from economic uh, flight links too um, and yet at the same time Dublin had sort of been this epicentre of, of hurling emerging as a competitive sport Yeah and Paul Rouse one of our great sports historians he's written a recent book called The Hurlers about you know the, the very first hurling All-Ireland final and the kind of mad enthusiasm that was in Dublin for the game once upon a time like Dubliners in their, in their thousands go to Elm Park for this the first ever Dublin Hurling Championship match in March 1887. Two brilliantly named teams, the, the Fog and Ballocks in one corner mm. and the Metropolitans in the other. And that name, the Metropolitans, would stick around Dublin yeah, yeah. Uh, GAA circles for a long, long time. Both the Dublin footballers and hurlers were once known as, as the Metropolitans. But you get these great illustrations of people in Dublin, you know, playing hurling, appearing in, the, in, in, in British publications of the day, the London-based Illustrated Sporting and Dramatic News. And I That's think a great title. Kind of, what a great title. Illustrated Supporting and Dramatic News. <laughs> yeah. And people are kind of baffled by this. You know, yeah. one English writer at the time, Arthur Young, he has this great description of, of, of hurling. He describes it as the cricket of savages. But Dublin is the epicentre <laughs> of okay. the game. Some, some Dubliners might still say that. Dublin is the epicentre of the game. Yeah. You know, in the late 19th century, it's, it's the place to be. But I think in Dublin, there were unique challenges as far as hurling was concerned. Yeah. Well, if hurling is the cricket of savages, then cricket is just foreign hurling. And that's that's, <laughs> that's the way we'll just put it. Now, um, soccer proves a bit of a challenge in general because this is a time when association football is beginning Absolutely. Absolutely, yes. Well. Simultaneously, you get the emergence of hurling in, 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 in the Phoenix Park and you have also the association football is yeah. coming into, in, in, into fashion. And Michael Cusack condemns people who play soccer in the Phoenix Park. He calls them orange Catholics. But the GAA doesn't really know what to do yeah. uh, about soccer. They panic. And then in 1905, they introduced that famous Rule 27, which actually bans people not only from playing foreign games, mm. but from going to and watching foreign games, which is a source of considerable discontent yeah, yeah. in Dublin, where soccer is very, very popular. And the thing about soccer, as I've made this point on this stop before, it is, in a way, the most egalitarian sport in the world, in that all you need is four jumpers and a ball, yeah, yeah, yeah. and away you go. And it's the game of the pavement. And that's true in Brazil, it's true in Buenos Aires, and it's true in inner city Dublin. It's the working class game, you know? Mm-hmm. And the leap from soccer to Gaelic football is not as vast as the leap from soccer to hurling. So you end up with people in Dublin that are quite good at Gaelic football, often because of their, their youth playing soccer. Yeah. Uh, Con Martin, Kevin Moran, the Busby Babe, Liam Whelan, you know, all of these people mm-hmm. kind of flirt between soccer and Gaelic football uh, in their youth. And even handball. You know, handball does better in Dublin uh, than hurling does because, again, if you, you travel... You need, you need so little to play. You need so little space. Yeah. And if you travel into inner city Dublin today, I mean, there's one just off Capel Street that no one even notices. These handball alleys are still there. So is it that hurling, as some Dubliners like to tell themselves, as a countryman's game that needs wide open space and, you know, Gaelic football, soccer and handball do better in a tight urban environment? Uh, I don't know, but there's been excuses found anyway from the early 20th century. Yeah, so that's that's soccer and that kind of squeezes it out. And as you mentioned there, some of the other names of, of Con Martin and Kevin Moore, and then you, you fast forward through to the, the 1970s and Dublin then is very... GAA mad but, it, but it's only one code because bringing the crowd. let's not forget Dublin were bad at Gaelic football for a long time as well <laughs> and then in the 1970s there's this incredible moment in, 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 in the social history of the city mm. and it's a real youth phenomenon actually when you, you get the, the days of Hefo's army and that great backdrop Kevin Heffernan's years a cultural shift in Dublin and Hefo himself years later actually nailed what happened he said I said to myself it's great to be coming up now the economy has slumped there's no soccer team doing well the rugby team were struggling we were arriving there was a space 
space for us to make a difference. Mm. So, you know, Gaelic football just comes along at the, at the right moment in Dublin in the 70s. And if you look at the, the footage of Hill 68, and a lot of Dubliners won't like hearing this, but if you look at the archive footage of Hill 68 in the 1970s, the fans are singing, you'll never walk alone. I mean, they come from a soccer gene pool, yeah. if you will. And again, the leap from soccer to Gaelic football wasn't all that fast. And then at, at the time, and subsequently as well, just before the, the more modern renaissance, the press had never been too kind or too optimistic about the possibility of a Dublin hurling renaissance. No, there's a lovely line in the newspaper archives that dug out from this from the 1990s. One writer said, if you mention Dublin hurling, bar still pontificators think it's an oxymoronic joke like Jamaican bobslayers. But that, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. There's something in that. Oh, right. What has changed in the 20 years since that comment was made? I think club hurling is doing very well. In yeah. I mean, you yeah, look yeah. at Kula, for example, you know, and the game has incredible potential uh, going forward. And what I really like about, about, about Kula is their support. Have you ever seen them at a club final? Mm. Like They're noisy, they're colourful, and you could say they bring a passion that's kind of more associated with the other code in Dublin uh, in, into sporting stadiums. But it seems, well, well good things are happening at, at, at club level. And while there's been remarkable players coming through, success at county level just just has not really materialised. Yeah, well, it's happened to, to some degree. There was the, the National Hurling uh, League a couple of years ago and they made a couple of Leinster finals. So they have been, been, been there or thereabouts. But now, of course, we were talking on the weekend that we are where we've got the, the ladies footballers who, by the way, have the most brilliant nickname. I love the nickname for the Dublin ladies footballers. The Jackies. Yeah, it's I just fantastic. It's just a phenom- just fantastic. brilliantly, just capital wit created there. So obviously they're looking for their own bit of history this afternoon. The men reached immortality last night, yeah. but yet it's the, the names of these great hurlers are, are more or less forgotten. And you're right. You mentioned that moment of, of great success, the National Hurling League victory over, yeah. over Kilkenny in 2011, which was extraordinary. But like some of the most committed players who ever put on a Dublin jersey, uh, Gary Maguire, the goalkeeper, I mean, he was there for 15 seasons, mm. absolute stalwart. Uh, yeah. at the top level never lifted Liam McCarthy you know and th- there's a real tragedy uh, in that but it is likely you know that Dublin's dominance in Gaelic football will pass it, people in the city I think it will <laughs> I think look at the age of the players yesterday the average age of a Dublin player on the pitch yesterday versus the average uh, age of a Kerry player and I think the youth well, of that okay, Kerry yeah, team yeah. suggests their best may, may yet come but mm. you know regardless of what Dublin have achieved in Gaelic football which is the stuff uh, of sporting legend there's definitely work to do in, in, yeah. in hurling I thought it was funny yesterday I was walking through town before the match and the Hawkers are already there on O'Connell Bridge peddling the 19D Sam Reg plates. And I before the him, game? I said it might be a bit premature. I, I saw a lot of them after the game. I didn't know they were right beforehand. <laughs> I thought that was a little bit premature. Uh, but by the end, I suppose, many of us felt was it ever in doubt. No, well, I suppose at least uh, you can always uh, follow the mood. You know, they say the bookies are never too far wrong. The street traders are never really all that far wrong yes, either. And if they're yes, going yes. to tie up a lot of cash in that sort of 19D Sam Reg plates. Well, there's, uh, will there's, they some, be... there's some Kerry five in a row jerseys down the country well, you know, from will, the 1970s True, yeah. I wonder, will they be tying up the same capital in 20D Liam? Reg plates next year <laughs> uh, maybe who knows we live uh, hope Donald as ever thank you very much for dropping in the forgotten history of Dublin's last All-Ireland hurling success in 1938 Donald Fallon is an author and historian he's the author of the Come Here To Me blog and books volumes 1 and 2 of which are available in all good bookshops 